Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. It's Rob Tyson here, and welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is James Whittle, who's the CEO of Rupert Resources, who are a junior miner with advanced exploration and near-term production potential in northern Finland. James is a geologist by background and has over 20 years' experience in mining, working in the field and in the investment space. So he's on the podcast to share his journey and tell us more about Rupert Resources and mining in Finland. So that's welcome, James, to the podcast. How are you doing, James? Yeah, good. Thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. Thanks for uh, giving us the chance to do this. Yeah, Yeah. and I appreciate your time as well. So can you tell us a little bit about your background, about your career? Um, Obviously, like I mentioned, you're a geologist um, or trained as a geologist. um, And just wonder if you can take us through that journey, through your career to where you are today. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, quite apt. I'm actually doing a careers day at my daughter's school, actually, for, for becoming a geoscientist on, oh, okay. on, on, on Friday. So uh, I've been thinking about this a fair bit. Anyway, I guess so. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. All the way back, I actually did geology, geology GCSE while I was doing my A-levels. And someone said, um, you know, they suggested, oh, let's do this first time at school. And I found it quite interesting. So it sort of all sparked from, yeah, like a 17 year old looking, you know, at school. So sort I of think looking at, you know, maybe... Yeah, a, a different, a different thing to study ultimately. Anyway, then I um, so that led me to go to Leicester University and do applied geology um, in my undergrad degree. Um, yeah, many moons ago, um, 1992. So uh, yeah, I did that, and then um, I guess the the thing is, I don't know. I guess really that's what inspired me to really want to get into the industry because it was very. Um, yeah, it was very vocational in the way it was taught. And um, my tutor there did a course on economic geology as well and, and, and got into, you know, in the undergrad doing valuations on companies and, and, and I guess taking it from just being the theoretical, you know, science, geological, geological science into actually it being meaningful in terms of on a commercial sense. So, so I guess it was just, you know, fortune that he was, he decided to take that, that part of the course and, and introduce that to the, uh, to the degree and then um yeah from there um i guess if uh, any of my uh i guess friends that a couple of friends that did geology at that time we sort of we were then leicester university 1995 what are you going to do there weren't that many jobs in the uk um applied for lots of jobs in oil and gas and potential things and uh, other things and then we basically decided that if we couldn't get a job locally we'd all go to australia so and see if we could get a job there um, that's when the time you could quite easily go there and get um, on a working holiday visa and, and just see what happened, really. So, um, ironically, I did go for a job interview at Bilby Potash and even up in up in Yorkshire, and um, actually was offered the job um, after I'd already gone to Australia. Like a couple of days after I landed, my mum phoned me up and said, "Oh, you've just had a job offer through the post from Bilby Potash." But I guess by then I'd. Um, I committed and I was on the plane to Australia and went to Melbourne for a while and then um, and, and eventually wound my way to Perth in Western Australia and, and sort of the rest was history. Picked up my first um, job through a recruitment consultant, um, 
basically at the bottom rungs as it was then you sort of took a job as a geotech um standing on the back of an rc rig in the in the back of western australia there um really at the bottom of the pile bagging samples and logging um logging chips of samples at a phenomenal rate because the drillers would just see how fast they could possibly do it and wind up the geologists at the same time and and, and yeah was, i guess it was the mid 90s in wa which was you know there's quite a lot of gold exploration going on it was quite a yeah pretty exciting time to be honest and and as i went down with a couple of friends from university we, we had a we had a great time then and then i you know all of a sudden it was eight years later and i was still in australia uh, um having you know, a series of different jobs um, through gold exploration and then um, yeah, worked in, in mine geology, worked and worked throughout the state as well, up in the Kimberleys and all through the through the gold fields. And um, yeah, towards the end of that, I ended up involved in a in a vanadium project, um, was the project geologist through there, saw that through you know feasibility, uh, exploration, feasibility, construction and into production. And sort of through that process, um, you know, got to know, you know, met a lot of people involved with the financing of that project. And again, my whole, you know, I guess back to those early days of at university, I was very interested in the whole commercial aspect of it, of what it really means, rather than just, you know, looking at rocks. Perhaps, I, perhaps I'm not a very good geologist, so perhaps I wasn't very good at looking at the rock. I certainly was, certainly had, I, I enjoyed the corporate side of it probably more. So I, um, from that, I, I went back to, came back to the UK um, did a master's in mineral project appraisal, which a number of people in the sector had done. Um, uh, and uh, did that, I guess in 2002, 2003, came out of the back of that um, with an aim to really, I guess the, the real driver, it was to get into, you know, either corporate development or into the fund management or lending side of the business. So, um, yeah, I guess um, I, I came out of that and went into, luckily the timing was good. Um, right at that point in the cycle when everything was beginning to pick up again in 2003 and four, and uh, picked up a job at Baker Steel Capital Managers on the fund management side in, in the UK. Um, and um, yeah, 13 years as a, as a fund manager, an analyst again, right at the bottom, you know, you know, working, you know working through as, uh, you know, doing you know, pretty hundreds and thousands of valuations on companies and assets. And then, um, I guess worked my way up was ended up being a, a partner there, management partner with with David and Trevor, and um, yeah, that was that was a very interesting part of my career. Got to travel pretty much all over the world, looking at mining projects, literally anywhere from from Norilsk in northern Russia, um, you know, plenty of time back in Australia, down to Latin America, lots of time in, in Mexico, but in in, in West Africa, but then in, in sort of more. You know what I'd say, safer jurisdictions and probably easier places to go, like like Canada. Spent a lot of time there, looking at opportunities there, uh, and even up in Finland where I am now. So yeah, it was a very interesting, interesting number of years. Uh, rode the, the cycles as well. Had the big boom in in gold. Then we saw the financial crisis through. Um, so the size of our business varied as well, uh, and how that changed and and the environment of that business changed. And now. Um, yeah, I guess in, in 2017, um, late 2016, I was, uh, I was approached to, to look at this Finnish opportunity by the shareholders. And um, I, uh, I'd met many of them back in 2003 and four, looking at projects that they were, they, were, um, they were invested in at that point in time. And we sort of, we'd stayed in touch. Um, I guess we stayed in touch probably because we made quite a lot of money on our investments with them. So we had a good relationship. Um, 
uh, and they um, yeah eventually approached me and said would I be interested in in going back into the corporate side uh, and uh, getting involved in in running this company Rupert Resources, which um, yeah it's quite a change, but but also you know it sort of goes back to where I was before. So it, it, um, and uh, but with a lot more knowledge, having seen you know hundreds of companies raise money, go through this process, be exploration companies, be developers um, on the fund management side. Um, yeah, I guess um, a CEO that I um, uh, once said that, well, I told him that I was going to go back to this. He said, oh, okay, so you're you're no longer just going to be, he likened it to investors putting, um, you know, they, they might put a few uh, containers, cargo on and, on and off a ship every now and again and own it for a bit and have an interest in it for a while. But uh, he said it's a very much different when you are actually the, the captain of the ship that has to navigate all through those those different times. And, and it is very much like that. I think that's quite a good analogy. Um, but it's, um, yeah, and that's been a really interesting few years. I can't believe it's been four years now since I, I came here. So yeah. there's a bit of a, a, a very short plotted history of, uh, of my background. Yeah, no, and it's an interesting journey that you've been on. Um, before we speak about Rupert Resources, um, I'm keen just to have a quick um, overview of what you mentioned about you're your going to be speaking to um, your children's school. Um, yeah. What kind of things are you going to say to them? Obviously, mining is especially here, I suppose, whether it's in the UK or even within Europe, it's not an industry that many people know about. Um, how are you going to present the industry? And, and I just wondered how many people are actually going to take notice and actually then follow through with what you say and maybe go into the industry? Because I think it's important um, because not many people, I suppose, across the world really understand mining. Um, so yeah, I'm curious as to what prep you've done for that. Yeah, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not putting you on the spot. You, but I'm just curious, curious as to some of the things that you, you, you're going to say. Look, I, I, I think, I, I think, I guess my what I'm actually going to talk about with them is more GS, the, the the career as a geoscientist because that can lead you in lots of different directions. Be it into mining, be it into, I guess. In these days, actually, if you look at the modern role of a geoscientist, mining is quite a, you know, the mining part of it is a relatively small part of what you can possibly do with it. Obviously, there's a lot of environmental geology you can get involved with. Some of my friends all ended up in in uh, like commercial construction and things like that. And obviously, there's an element of, I guess the key message for them is that there's an element of geoscience in many, many, many um, um, uh, I guess jobs or, or or career paths effectively, and so actually it's an interesting career path if you, you know maybe you maybe you, if you're very passionate about you know sustainable development or um, I guess the move to renewable energy or the move to electrification, you know all those things today are very you know key and there's and, and really we we don't have a lot of people with those skill base with that skill base and be it maybe they want to be in exploration for metals which are you know specific to that you know you know the, the future economy i guess you know that's that's one element of it um but even if you went into you know more of the recycling industry effectively and trying to understand that having a background in geoscience is going to help you there if you certainly because you you've got to understand that whole i guess 
I guess for them, they're, they're quite young, but I understand the fact that it is one large, very large cycle effectively, even, you know, the, you know, the, just take the oil industry effectively. I guess you, you are mining a finite resource, but that that resource in its very first state, understanding that it was derived from trees and plants and everything in the first place, that yes, there are many hundreds of millions of years old now, but just understanding those basic facts, I just think it's a very interesting um, I think if you you have a strong understanding of, of, of geoscience and the, on the more broader sense, it, it probably allows you to have a more broader understanding of a lot of the issues that we're facing. So uh, as, as globally in terms of um, um, stable development and, and, and how we, you know, there's a, obviously a large push to, you know, a net zero emissions environment for the, for the uh, global scale. But again, geoscience plays a huge role in that as well. So I think, I probably won't talk too much about actually just getting into specifically mining um, because I think um, often the issue you have with that is that then they're a bit like, oh, well, that's, that's just, the, they immediately go to the thinking about, you know, digging holes in the ground, if you see what I mean, and the negative aspects of that, but more about, you know, you know, what are the, what, what not specific about that, why do we do it effectively? Um, and, and just some elements. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a uh, it's a really interesting discussion when you get into it. it probably, um, but but you've got to be <laughs> cognizant of, you, of your audience and getting them grabbing their attention. And like one of the things I'm going to present to them is effectively, you know, what are the minerals that are in a smartphone? So they're all you know kids that are interested in technology. I'll have an iPad on the desk so they can flick through photos about mining. But it's also you know so you know how does that you know what what's behind that and so you know there's a great poster that the geologists start to do which is all the elements that go into a smartphone or something like that and where do they come from in the world and i think then you can talk about it in that thing it's okay we think them think beyond the fact that our oh, where'd you get that from i'll go and buy it from john lewis or go and buy it from amazon but no that's where it comes from no but where does it really come from all the things that come in behind it so i think yeah uh, and all the elements to that and, and you know I think that's the that's the way to grab their attention to make it relevant for them, uh, and try and pick on those few things. So, yeah, it's so the fundamental. It's the actual fundamentals of mining, um, from where everything we see around us has obviously either yeah. come from a mine or it's been grown. Um, and yeah. it's just making them understand that, um, and then trying to, like you said, make it more relevant to what they're interested in, and then backtrack and say, look. This is this is what you could be doing to produce this yeah. from a mind though. So uh, yeah, no, it'd be, it'd yeah, be interesting, but, yeah, but, interesting but, but, to hear yeah. how it goes. But a lot of people want to. A lot of people sort of, you know, they want to change that, you know, and think about better, be it, you know, if, if, you know, be it building new cars and technologies. All this push towards technology, but actually, it's still a key part of it, I guess. And under just. Just understand, just an understanding of, of of that background, as you say, that everything that they're, you know, I'll have a stand with like a, you know, everything that comes to the table that I've got, and everything will have a background in mining somewhere, or mining and oil and gas or something, or you know, so you can just get that across. And um, you know, an easy one is um, an easy one. I always think is is amazing one. It's like you know, what, if if they like eating white bread, you know, where does the white of the white bread come from? Well, that's calcium carbonate that's put in with the flour. You can see it on the back of the packet. So I mean, so it, it, it you know that hasn't come, you know, that's come from some sort of mining at some point in time. So it's it's um, yeah, it's quite easy to 
hopefully grab their attention. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> right. So let's get on to the main topic. Um, wonder if you can give us an overview of uh, Rupert Resources for, for our audience. Yeah, for sure. So Rupert Resources is a, um, I guess we're at this phase, we're a mineral exploration company for the most part. We um, we do own, um, I guess, stepping back, we the company just before I joined it bought the part of our project in Northern Finland. Um, and uh, that was a, a mine and um, uh, half a million tonne per annum gold mine um, in care and maintenance with a very small resource on it. But I guess the most attractive thing that came about that was a land package in, in northern Finland in the central Lapland Greenstone Belt. Um, that had been pegged back in 2010, um, so quite a long time before. And um, yeah, it was, was all just came as this, this entire package. No one seemed to be interested in it. And no one had really looked too hard um, at the project. And, and just acquiring it for half a million dollars right at the bottom of the market when no one was interested in it. Yes, there's a $2 million royalty on future production, but really half a million dollars to buy what we did or, or you know, those licenses it was was uh, was an incredible opportunity. Um, and so that's really the foundation for it. Yes, we have some other assets as well. Um, but so that's the focus of it um, in terms of what does the company, you know, what's the company been doing for the last four years and what's been the opportunity? Well, I guess we, we were fortunate to have very good shareholders behind the company right from the get-go, uh, very supportive shareholders. Um, and really what we what we set out to demonstrate when I joined was was that there was a lot more potential in Northern Finland that was, you know, potentially, you know, that hadn't been demonstrated um, by the company. So I guess uh, I say that with a slight pinch of salt, though, because you do have Europe's largest gold mine, Kittela, sitting up there, and that's owned by Agnico Eagle. Um, and um, you also have... You know, Kvitsa, you know, Belieden's Kvitsa operation, one of the biggest base metal mines in Europe and Anglo-American Sakati project, one of the next, you know, a potentially large future base metals project there. So it's not as though it hasn't been explored at all, um, but certainly this area seemed to be very unexplored for really for gold mineralization. Um, because historically, why is that? Historically, it was, um, you know, uh, Finland only joined the EU in the mid 90s and you didn't see a lot of international companies and the focus by the state run companies, Otakumpu, et cetera, was more base metal. So um, our approach has been to really, I guess, take a almost like a fund management approach and apply it to exploration. So quite, you know, we recognize that it's a high risk part of the sector. Um, we very upfront with the investors about that risk, but also how much money they need to invest. You know, you need to invest a reasonable amount of money, sort of serious amounts of money in exploration to have success. You see that throughout the industry. If you don't don't allocate enough money, you never really get to the discovery. Um, you sort of always scratch around the sides. And we, and we set a, a you know an ambitious goal, effectively, to find we owned a you know a sort of half a million ounces in the ground. We demonstrated after doing some drilling at the mine, but we. We don't necessarily think that that can be a multi-million ounce deposit in itself, in its own right. It was to set out Serco, but we felt the region had the potential, and so we, um, we, yeah, we set a goal that we'd go looking for two to three million ounce or more size deposits. You know, the sort of deposits that are relevant for the industry. Um, that you know, the, the, you know, the, the production end of the industry really needs to have to replace. You know, you know, production that's there, and will will eventually, eventually stop from current operations. But also have all those filters. It's got to be a you know really high quality asset. You know, high. You know, looking for the you know a, 
what I call a, you know, all ounces aren't created equal, looking for something that is, is an outstanding exploration discovery. So that's what we set out very systematically. Um, and um, yeah, I guess over the last four years, we, we, we haven't put our maiden resource out on our recruit project that was been attracting a lot of attention in the last 12 months. Um, but certainly we think we, we are on to one of those discoveries. Um, but it's, um, yes, it, it's been, um, in the last 12 months, everyone's recognized that there's a lot of work in the background that led to that. But I think, you know, that's, that's what the company's about, um, at, at this point in time. And everyone says, okay, what is, what is resort, roof resources going to do now? Um, really it's about, you know, we are, um, you get all these pigeonholes of exploration companies and development companies and mining companies, but really, you know, our, our job is to demonstrate the, the economic potential of those of whatever we find and the projects that we have, and we'll continue to do that. So, you know, next steps are obviously continuing exploring, looking for more recreates because they exist, um, but also developing this one up as well. So, yeah. So, uh, um, before we talk about the projects and um, yeah. and more about Finland. Um, this is obviously your first CEO role. How have yeah. you found that transition from working in the sort of financial industry and working within a fund management company yeah. to now stepping into the hot seat as a CEO? How have you found that transition? What are the challenges that you faced and obviously had to overcome? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, I, I left the industry, like left working in the industry um, uh, uh, to go into fund management, um, I guess, in 2002. Um, and I, 13 years in fund management, you come back out and you listen to all the companies about what they're doing and how things are potentially changing, things like that. But ultimately, when it came back into the industry, it was, it, it, it was a bit like stepping back in time. Nothing much changes too much. Um, but I think, I think it, it's been um, it's been a great learning experience as a as a former fund manager. If I look at that and really getting back into you know as a fund manager, you only get to see off like the you know, maybe the you can't dig that deep if it's so I mean to use an expression for your your podcast. You can't really dig that deep into the companies. There just isn't the information available. You're not seeing that granular detail, and you have to make judgments on um, you know the limited information that you can see. So I think it was you know it's been very interesting to get back in and really understand in the industry better again. Um, um, you sort of it's amazing what you think you possibly were beginning to miss the longer you'd left the industry and were just on farm management so that's been that's been a, a, a very positive experience but also I actually don't think um, I think a lot of the principles of fund management and the principles of, of which which really gets you to focus on a daily basis about capital allocation that is is absolutely applicable to to, to every industry, it doesn't matter what industry, whether you're running a running a, a, a shop or developing any new business, it's really about cap. Really, got to be keen on capital allocation and, and managing the risk of that capital allocation, and that's really what exploration is about for me. It, you know, that is actually the absolute extreme of it. It's like running the the riskiest end of your portfolio as a fund manager, you know, and and trying to manage that risk and still make a return. The difference in fund management, hopefully, you can. If you don't, if something goes wrong, hopefully you can still send it, sell it for ten cents on a dollar. But if you drill, you know, drill 10, 15 holes in the wrong place, you can't get that money back. You've got to pay the contractor. So it even makes you even more keen about what you're doing. Um, and that maybe, maybe that's what makes people quite ironically too risk averse in exploration, to be honest, because there's this whole concern about spending the money and losing the money. Uh, 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 and but but uh, but ultimately. 
in fund management, you, you learn to be very accountable for your mistakes. Uh, and you have to stand up in front of your investors and they're grilling you all the time on your mistakes. Uh, and they see it's in black and white, the, the winners and losers every month. So internally that, so I think, you know, again, I think it, it, it's not that, it's not so different as long as you're prepared to stand up and be accountable for your mistakes all the time. And you get everyone in the firm to, in your in your company to sort of live by that guideline as well. Um, and that's what we try and do effectively. You know, it's been a, it's been a, it's taken a while, but ultimately with the success becomes more acceptability of accountability ultimately you're, uh, and by by having a clear focus that you you know i'm not looking just to drill holes to find gold i mean one of the one of the interesting conundrums that we've had effectively is that we when we're about 75 percent of all the holes we drill exploration greenfield exploration this is they all have gold mineralization in them so it would be very easy to get distracted by one or two of you know something that you shouldn't be and again it's a bit like that's not dissimilar. You could be, in, you know, I'm going to invest in the gold sector. There's lots of bright, shiny things that I might invest in, but you've got to make sure you filter out to the ones that are actually going to make your return. So, so I don't think it hasn't been um, it hasn't been too tough a transition. But it, but I've learned a lot on this side, and 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 certainly the lessons I learned on fund management I find very valuable every day when we're dealing with with this company. Yeah, no, certainly. And it's a, that's a good overview around the, obviously the risk tolerance that you're able to take. So yeah. um, how how would you say you differentiate uh, yourself as Rupert um, Resources from other companies? Um, and also with the obviously gold price at good levels at the moment um, and a lot of other companies exploring in the area and putting out results, what, what would you say differentiates yourself from other companies in in, in the area, I, th- I think. Well, in in principle, I guess sort of going back to how we do the job. I think um, the you know I have a lot of admiration for some of these some of the big company exploration that goes on because you know they're if you're looking to replace like you know two or three million ounces of production every year, there's a lot of pressure on the team to do that. But ultimately, you know. To do that, you have to take some quite high risk decisions, which sort of goes against some of the other business principles, you know, trying to try and manage production risk and all those sort of elements. So I guess we we try and take the elements of doing big company exploration, I call it. Um, so we're not shy in terms of um, you know, large, it's, it's all about large land packages, assessing them quickly, turning them over, doing, you know, quite broad like regional geophysics area plans, really, you know, being, pretty broad in all the work that you're doing at the beginning to, to generate lots of targets of tools and down. But I guess the advantage, the differentiate for us for, to that business model is that we're very small. Um, so there's no bureaucracy in it. It is it, it, no, you know, it's a direct conversation between me and the exploration manager, Charlotte Seabrook, um, you know, on a, you know, on a, I guess formally, we might do it on a on, on a weekly basis, but really it's, it, it's more of an informal all the time dynamic conversation about actually this one's going, this one's not going so well, let's move on from that or where should we focus next? So having that sort of, you know, almost, you know, immediacy of a decision-making um, and where you should, have, you know, where we should go next or what we should do next, I think is a big differentiator. Um, and then having your geologist thinking about those economic issues, like I set out, you know, effectively you're looking for big, potentially good deposits. That's why you're, so if they drill something and they think it's quite good, 
you know, or, or we had this whole plan at the beginning that you sort of drill 1,500 metres into a target. And if it hasn't got the potential to be this two or three million altitudes, it just gets parked. But if it has, let's talk about it. Let's think what should we do next. Let's do some network and let's um, drill another 1,500 metres and move it pretty quickly. Um, and you can you can do that when you've got a portfolio of these things running. So that's probably the big differentiator. And I think um, so that I, I'd say just the way we work, I think, is quite different to others. Um, the way we've all, uh, and obviously uh, our ability to do that comes from being well-funded all the way through. So we've always made sure that, you know, our, we had strong backing from our shareholders. Then we've had, you know, got Agnico Eagle as a strategic shareholder. That's important. Uh, obviously, you know, sitting in the background, looking at what we're doing um, and like the approach. And then, um, and then we've been able to manage, you know, to raise money in the market at the right time um, on the back of some great results every time. So without, um, without heavily heavy dilution to the shares, which is important for me. I mean, the whole one key principle that we have is that you know we have to generate a return on every um, every dollar that we raise. We have to generate a return. So shareholders' capital is absolutely important to us. So if, you know it, it's no good if you raise fifty million dollars and you only add fifty million dollars of value. Well, that's you know it was a zero sum game. You've got to make absolutely multi, you know in this business it's high risk. People, people don't want to make an annualized return of five or six percent on an expiration stock. They want to make phenomenal annualized returns uh, from catalyst events. So you want to be aiming to make you know five plus times on on shareholders' capital. So those those underlying principles, I think, are what differentiates us. So it's it's not just about expiration results. Our expiration results have been fantastic because of what we found. Um, and 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 someone asked me yesterday, how do you keep on, you know. I think we had plenty of you know hundred meter continuous intercepts of mineralization, like somewhere on six grams or four grams, three grams, you know, really exceptional holes. Eventually, people don't seem to like; they almost get a bit numb to it, effectively, and how good those results are. Um, so it's it's a combination of lots of things, ways to differentiate yourself to others. Um, yeah. And really, well, you know, ultimately, the best way to differentiate yourself to others is making sure you just deliver, isn't it? In this sector, that you you know you set some reasonable goals and you deliver, and then you just if it doesn't go right, we'll have a conversation about it. But that's the key thing. Yeah, um, I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about the the recent funding you've you just mentioned. Yeah, so we just um, we just raised forty eight million dollars um, headline number, including over allotment um, in a in a part board deal or part public financing, you call it, um, and a and a private and a private placement to our current shareholders. So our current shareholders, that the, if I look at the overall split, it was about 40, 60 million uh, um, private and, and public. Um, so um, yeah, so it's again, you know, the shares, $5.30 a share it was raised, um, but really good support by our current shareholders, um, number of our current shareholders, and um, and then very good support in the public markets through a, a um, you know, it was, it was led by, Cormark and BMO, but there was a series of other brokers in, the, in there as well. So I think you know, it was um, over the last couple of years, as people have come to understand the company better, um, we've been able to attract more institutional investors to the stock. We've always had an issue with liquidity. It's been quite tightly held, but beginning to attract more like in long-term quality institutional shareholders to the, to the registry as well, which is important for it. 
Yeah. Um, so what the, obviously you've been in Finland for a while now. Um, what are the advantages of operating in Finland? Um, obviously, it always ranks well on the place for exploration um, in mining. Um, and so I wonder if you just tell us what the reality is on, on obviously on the ground. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it, it's a bit, it seems to be a bit of a mixed understanding of, of Finland. Ultimately, it does always rank incredibly highly, but I think there's people, you know, either, um, yeah, concerned for other reasons. So I, I guess it's a very easy place to operate. Ultimately, that's the first part. I mean, it's um, for me to go to. I was, haven't been going to Finland much in the last twelve months, but um, you know, it, it, in normal times, when we get back to it, it's um, you can have it in the winter. It's a direct flight from Gatwick to Rovaniemi, um, or it's um, or via Helsinki the rest of the year. And it's very easy to get there. To, you're there in six hours, effectively couple of hour time difference but it's almost when you then get off the plane it's such a simple place to it you you're just in northern europe effectively and even though we're inside the arctic circle you know is a town of eight thousand people a lot of them work or related to the mining industry or the forestry industry very commercial environment there um and you could be anyway you know there's i think there's five supermarkets in the town you know petrol stations it, 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 i guess if you took People will probably be familiar with, I guess, Ontario, so sort of northern Ontario, Kirkland Lake, uh, that sort of region, or even going to uh, Quebec, sort of Val d'Or, that environment. It's very similar to that. Um, phenomenal infrastructure, uh, and that's absolutely key. Um, you know, everything's, there's a lot of, you know, I guess, quite a bit of water in northern Finland, um, just relatively flat place, but there's all run of river hydro, so you've got renewable, 100% renewable power sources, all over the place, great power grid in place. Um, obviously, it was the Finland was the was the start of a lot of the mobile phone networks. So you've got a phenomenal mobile phone network. I can be on any of my exploration rigs and have a WhatsApp. We could have this conversation from the middle of nowhere um, on 4G from from out in the exploration site. Um, and um, so you have a lot of those advantages, but also you know it's a very skilled population as well. They were very well educated. So. And what, what really strikes me most is the responsibility or the self-responsibility of that population as well. In terms of like a safety culture, things like that, they're very, they, they are themselves responsible people and they take responsibility for their actions, which is so important in this industry, because even in exploration, there's a relative, you know, there's always risks involved in that. Um, it's got people out, you know, operating alone or, or, or with other people um, around equipment that, you know, sometimes it's pretty hazardous. So I think, you know, those, all those things are really important. But on top of that, you have a you have a great uh, corporate environment, both taxation, but also, you know, in terms of your license tenure and things like that, just secure license tenure. So all those sort of, I guess a, a lot of a lot of the job of uh, of running these companies is really sort of managing expectations and managing risks. And one of the best ways to manage this risk in, 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 is to go to jurisdictions that are very easy to operate in and very transparent. And that, and if you can make, and I think what goes against them probably, they have this amazing geological database, and there's all this opportunity to do the exploration, but they just haven't seen a lot of money. There's been a bit of a dogma about, oh no, there's you're not going to find big gold deposits, you're not going to find big deposits in this part of the world. But the geology is very similar to West Africa um, for for gold in Central African greenstone belt, so you've got similarities there. Um, but also, you've, but there are these amazing, you know, some phenomenal deposits in that country. And so it does have that geological potential. Um, and I guess the other perception is maybe it's a little bit 
high is that would be an expensive place to operate but it's it's really not it's it, it's certainly no more expensive than working in canada um or probably australia for that matter and actually it, it, i'd i'd make a pretty solid case that it's cheaper so yeah well i was going to say it seems a, a very attractive jurisdiction for mining so what is the reluctance for further investment um obviously you highlighted highlighted a few topics there um mm. What else would you say um, is a reluctance to to explore further? Obviously, like you said, there's there's quite a quite a um, few large deposits there and a few big companies yeah. there. Um, how comes it's not being explored more, or is it being explored to a certain potential at the moment? Yeah, I, th I think the a key thing behind this is that historically, um, it's. it's my colleague Tom would say, it's been a tough jurisdiction to raise exploration funds for. Um, so a lot of the companies that were listed there, take take the previous owners of the Partsboro Mine, a Swedish listed, um, ultimately the first one in the 90s, Canadian listed. But a lot of the discoveries in gold were made by the state, like GTK, Geological Survey, back in the 80s and early 90s. So and then you had a you know mostly Swedish companies coming in or poorly or people that were effectively trying to exploit a bit like parts of our there's 150,000 ounces in the ground let's go and mine that try and make some money out of it and then we might do some exploration data. so you, and then you have you you basically had all these tiny little license blocks held um, and small small budget work going on and never no one you know not really taking a step back and saying oh what's the potential could there be other things other than that's already been explored that's sticking out of the ground because it is you know just like many people would say you know exploration is getting harder because you've now got to look underneath the surface you can't not find any things that stick out of the ground and and part of our was was in subcrop Hitler was found in a road cutting you know it, it, a lot of these things were easier to find but look at um you know, our new discoveries, they're all undercover. They're all like under maybe 10 to 20, sometimes 30 meters of till cover. You can't do that easily. Uh, or it's not, you're not going to walk up to it and find it effectively. But that said, you know, our neighbors have, have walked up and found, uh, um, you know, gold boulders at surface. So uh, um, there's still obviously more to be found. But I, th I think we're going back, why isn't you seen it? Like I guess so you had this environment around, certainly around Finland, that oh, it was only small companies and small licenses. But by having this history of people only sort of thinking small, you know, you got this public perception or industry perception that everything there was small deposits. Um, but ultimately, um, that was more of a function of the fact that the government would drill a few holes and then tender off a, a project. We have a project in our central Finland called Hirsikangas. It was it basically was found by the government. They put a few holes in it. They tendered it out to people. Um, but you know the license was like two kilometer, like a kilometer long, effectively. So when we when we took that in, we said, okay, well actually let's pick up thirty kilometers of strike as a reservation. Now let's do some proper exploration. And and that's. You know, we just haven't seen that stage. But I think you're beginning to see it. You're beginning to see larger companies come in, take larger land packages and do this more systematic exploration on the back of the fact that there are these discoveries. Yeah. So I think it's just it's just an evolution point. We, we're not, um, you know, our original presentation sort of it's a bit like going back to the Abitibia 100 years ago uh, and seeing and starting exploration afresh because you don't, you know, you don't have that. You just haven't had that really intensive wave of, of modern commercial exploration, I call it. You've had academic 
um, reviews of the geology, but you haven't had that commercial exploration phase, which you, you know, you think about it in West Africa uh, last 30 years, you see a huge amount of commercial exploration. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars probably pumped into there in exploration, whereas you'd never seen that in Finland. We were, I think last year we were still, I mean, if we weren't the largest explorer in terms of dollars in the ground, we wouldn't be far off it. They know, and what did we spend? Maybe fifteen million dollars in the ground. So mm-hmm. yeah. it'll come, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, let's let's talk about more about uh, Rupert's uh, Resources project. So, when do you expect the maiden resource at Ikari uh, discovery, um, and what are the next steps? Yeah. So uh, um, we we've talked about putting that out in in I guess before the end of Q three annual Q three, so sort of August September. Um, ICRI was discovered in, where well, the first hole went into it on March the 31st, 2020. So it's a relatively new discovery. We made five other discoveries prior to that in this whole, in this area of the license, this new area of the license that we we're exploring. But that's really been, the, you know, that's where we focused a lot of the drilling is at about, you know, 30, 35,000 meters of drilling into it now. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to get a maiden resource on that. Um, yeah, the next couple of few months we'll have that out to the market, and I think that's important um, because it it sort of puts a, a marker in in place that this is the sort of potential that there is in the region. So yeah, that's quite soon now. Yeah, um, and with a land package of up to five hundred um, square kilometres, um, what is the potential going forward? Yeah, I think we, we've explored about ten percent of it so far. So obviously, you know, said so we're systematic. We we Early on, we did, you know, we either redid geophysics or reprocessed geophysics over large areas, you know, did quite broad exploration and, and obviously focused our first spending to the highest potential returning part of that package. But obviously, at that point in time, we didn't have any drill holes into it and there weren't any drill holes there before. So it was, it, it, it was you're really back to first principles. Now we've drilled, you know, in the order of, you know, 60, 70,000 metres of exploration drilling over the last few years. So built new geological maps, new understanding. And I think with that, you know, is beginning to light up other areas of our existing license that we'll carry on exploring. So I think, um, yeah, see uh, what we, what we don't want people to think, well, we're going to progress the ICRI project. We're carrying on doing our generative exploration continues. And so that's, yeah, going to continue. And we've actually picked up another license to the South um, at the end of last year that came available. So, you know, a large land page called Yezio. So we'll start exploring there this winter. So yeah, expect more to come, but also more to come from the Ikari discovery because that's only a year old too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also you've got um, current the part of Vara mine. Um, how's yeah. that fit within your plans? Yeah, so we, obviously when we in, inception of the company, that was the, the core asset and, and certainly backing up the valuation. I think sometimes maybe people have probably forgotten about that a little bit now over the last 12 months, but it's still important. It is a permitted mill site. It's 20 kilometers away from our current discovery, but we have been exploring there and, and with underground drilling. I mean, it's, um, it is, you know, you can, we could go up there tomorrow and go straight underground and, you know, show you the faces that are potentially ready to, to mine there as well. Um, but it's, um, we've been doing more exploration. And the reason why we've been doing that is, is because, um, you know, I, I have a, you know, from watching lots of s- small assets get developed, um, the the one thing that stops small assets being successful and, and having a strong life is is a lack of geological flexibility. I call it. So it's um, yeah, it's the ability to, 
you know, have multiple faces or other operating spaces. If, if, if when you start mining an area geologically, it doesn't look as good as you, you know, because resource resources aren't a, a perfect science, you know, and geology is not a perfect science. So with smaller assets, which have a lower revenue line, you, you actually almost need more flexibility in, the, in how you operate them. So I think what we've been doing there is trying to un understand that geological confidence. There really wasn't a geological model, um, very, um, limited understanding so what we've been doing there is trying to inc increase that understanding so um we'll come out with a new resource on that this year as well and then um you know continue our trade-off studies on it and i think you know what we've eventually gone is from having a company with um you know with a with an existing mine that can be turned on to now of a, a scale of maybe half a million tons per annum of now making a discovery which is obviously multiples the scale of that potentially as future production so we are you know that's why it's um, it's hard to pigeonhole as a, as a as an exploration company when we have that and we have you know these other things so if it's you you just continue to evaluate those that all, all the assets that become but we will be telling the market quite a bit more about the mine and what the opportunity there is to try and realize some of that value as well yeah. Um, over the over the months ahead. Yeah. So as a conclusion, what's the sort of outlook for Rupert Resources over the short and medium term? So I think it, it, it's um, as we were saying before we started the call, but it's, it's been a pretty um, it's always busy. Um, I think it, it's been a very exciting last few years, and, and for our exploration team, uh, it's been you know phenomenal in terms of the success that they've had. Um, I really don't expect that to let up though, because I think they themselves you know they might not say they understand the, the whole area loads but by, uh, in terms of um, this region and the exploration potential i think you know the, the team is is well set to carry on their discovery you know making these discoveries um i think we are you know we've seen a lot of other companies come into the region now but i think you know, we really do know what i think we really do know what we're doing here um it, it, it it's not uh it's not a science experiment it, it, it's it's proper commercial exploration in, in a very very exciting part of the world that's easy to operate so there's going to be plenty more on that side but also um as I said it's about being accountable so we'll you'll see us move forward through with our um with the projects we have resources move to peas ultimately move them up the curve as quickly and efficiently as possible because um i'm not um i'm not of the view that you just keep on drilling and drill holes and drill see how big it can be and then try and work out how to do it you know the, the true value in any exploration discovery um be it for gold or any other metal is is actually you know what is the what is the commercial value of that in what are they what are the cash flows going to be like what are the returns profiles going to be like because that's what the market's really giving you the value for uh, um and we want to differentiate over the next 12 months why why the ounces we've discovered at Ikari are better than others in the industry, why we think it's an exceptional asset, why we think, you know, you know, on the environmental side, it can be a very low impact operation and all those elements. So rolling back to the Guinea R conversation, why, you know, could this be, you know, one of the, one of the, I guess, a, a low risk mine on the environmental side, as well as that, and actually start demonstrating all those assets because, um, you know, we want to get into that EIA process as soon as possible. Uh, and get that moving on, get that moving forward. So uh, people can really start to envisage what it can be um, over the future. So yeah, with all that, I imagine it's gonna be a pretty busy year ahead. <laughs> plenty of plenty of information coming out to the market and keeping people up to date. So um, yeah.
I'll keep yeah. you posted, Ron. Yeah. Certainly, certainly. And it's, it yeah. seems a, fa- a fascinating uh, time for you guys and a, a lot of happening, as you mentioned. So um, if our audience wants to uh, reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? Are you across any social media platforms? Yeah, I guess we have, um, obviously, just directly through the website. Um, it's obviously the easiest place just to register for, for the mailings. But also, um, yeah, Tom Credden, who, who looks after our corp dev and on the marketing side, um, he can be contacted through the website, but you'll see us. Um, I think we're, you know, we, we, we're on LinkedIn. We have, I think we do have a Twitter account and we um, yeah, are on Instagram. So, yeah, there's a, there's a thing going on. Yes, certainly. We can include yeah. those on the, uh, in the show notes accompanying this yeah. podcast. Um, really appreciate your time, James, uh, giving us an overview of Finland, which does seem a very um, uh, interesting jurisdiction with a lot of potential. And maybe people that are listening to this podcast um, who are in obviously senior positions, maybe it could be something for, for you guys as well. And obviously you can reach out to James if you wanted any more information. Um, appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. Appreciate if you can uh, pass, share this episode to other people within the industry. Those that are watching on the YouTube channel, appreciate if you can um, share and like below. Um, Goes out to more people. And like I mentioned on all these podcasts, this is educational. So I appreciate if you can share and like, pass it on to other people, just so most of us can get more informed of the mining industry, certain jurisdictions like Finland, um, so just so we become more aware of other opportunities in the industry and um, and by listening to these podcasts, you are going to increase your knowledge, your knowledge base. So, um, yeah, keep sharing. Appreciate everyone that's listening um, and continues continuing your support of this uh, of this podcast. So, James, really appreciate your time again. Um, no, thank and, you. Much appreciated. Yeah, and look forward to uh, look forward to hearing more from you in your in your um, journey with Rupert Resources. And those that are listening, appreciate your time. Appreciate you listening. Until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes, and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining. Helping each other to improve the mining industry.